Imagine you picked up the most important book in the world, a book with words that can transform hearts. Now, imagine when you opened up that book, it was full of highlights and notes in the margin, and so you could see how this book has transformed someone's heart. This is The Notable Podcast. These are discussions where pastors not only take seriously the biblical text, but they share what they've been underlining and highlighting, all of their notes that help them share the world's most important book and how it's transformed their hearts and how it can transform the hearts of the people you know. This is Season 5, Coming Forth as Gold, a reading of the book of Job. You're about to hear a conversation between John and Tim Borman, twin brothers, both Christian pastors. Tim is a pastor in Queens, New York, and John is a pastor in Aiken, South Carolina. If you enjoy this podcast and would like to support us or hear more, visit NotablePodcast.com. That's N-O-T-A-B-L-E podcast.com. Here's John and Tim. So Jonathan, last time we, we we left everybody with pre-trauma Job with a little bit of a cliffhanger. And and today, um meet trauma Job. But not only that, like we're gonna actually get become a little bit godlike in this sense, that we're gonna see something that Job never gets to see, never gets to understand. Um as he's going through his tragedy, loss, and trauma, he never gets to see the the heavenly conversation, the heaven the 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 accusations that Satan's going to make um, going on in the book. Well, I think we have to get excited. I have to. We get, this is exactly how we live our lives. Why did I get in that car accident? Why did my daughter have to have that surgery? Why did I lose my job? Why why did the economy tank? Why why do I feel this way all the time? Um, I don't know. <laughs> uh, yes. I don't know. Anytime in the Bible heaven gets peeled open and torn open, that's something to get excited about. Like it's, it's giving us insight that we normally don't get to, get to have. Look at this. Tim, it's, it's exciting. To, look at this. One day, okay, one day. This is the epic beginning of, of trauma, trauma Job. And that's, by the way, um, that's how every, every day starts. Every day could be this day. And every great story starts like this. One day, you know, one day. Isn't that the truth? Yeah. The angels came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came with them. And so what we have here in... Let's just put this in a nutshell. What we have here, what we had was human flourishing. We had sort of this Edenic or Garden of Eden picture. And wonder of wonders, who comes in? We have a satanic entrance. Oh, my goodness. We have a satanic entrance. And so what? And look at the enemy shows up, the adversary yeah. to accuse. Yeah. And ooh, ooh. And so this this is what happens. The Lord said to Satan, where have you come from? Like the Lord didn't know, you know. <laughs> well, you know, here, this is, we, this is something you really have to pay attention to because people always accuse God that he's not in control of suffering, that he, he let Satan dupe him into, into this. But here's the thing. 
The Lord's interrogating Satan. It's not the other way around. Exactly. The- you know, like he, like Satan's not going to him and saying, Lord, where have you been? No. Yeah. It's, <laughs> yeah, exactly. We get it backwards. It's, it's Satan. Satan is called before the Lord, and, and, and the Lord says, now tell me where you've been. And Satan answered the Lord from roaming throughout the earth, going back and forth on it. <laughs> so impudent. Like, so where are you today? Oh, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> it's like that naughty, you know, teenager. Where have you been? Well, you know, I was just hanging out. <laughs> <laughs> I'll bet you were. I'll bet you were. And this is exactly, this is, you know, you know what it reminds me of? Uh, the Apostle Peter uh, talked about Satan as as a roaring lion who's prowling and looking for, uh, you know, looking for prey. And that's exactly, exactly. What, so where were you? Oh, roaming around. Oh, hunting. Here and there. No big deal. You know, um, so that's what he was doing. And And then the Lord says to Satan, have you considered my servant Job? And we talked about that this in the last podcast, but we get this fourfold descriptor. It's it's actually identical to the prologue. And um, he says, there is no one on earth like him. He is blameless and upright, a man who fears God and shuns evil. Now, I, I do want to push into that a little bit. What is the Lord so excited about? What does he care about so very much? Uh, he loves his people. He loves his people. And, and there's this question that that I have sort of haunting me right now. And the the question is this. What does the Lord think about me? You know, if Satan, if, if Satan were, were in heaven, and, and, and I, by the way, I don't believe he gets to do this anymore, and we're going to have to talk about that. But if Satan got up into the heavenly council... And he's talking to my Lord. Um, would my Lord like have this Father's heart for me that's beaming with pride and say, "Do you do you see Jonathan down there? Do you see how he loves me? Do you see how he's 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 serving me?" And the answer to that question, and I, I hope this doesn't sound prideful. I hope it 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 sounds faithful. If you know what I'm saying, not and I don't fit like I'm filled with faith is, is I, and I'm saying this because I want you listeners to, to believe this with me is I believe that the Lord delights over me too. It's crazy and he shouldn't. And it's undeserved. It's certainly undeserved, uh, you know, unmerited all, all, all the things that we hear in the songs and the hymns and stuff. I don't deserve it, but I believe that when God looks at me, he is absolutely beaming with pride. Well, he, well, you know, we should we should explain more about what you mean because from the side of the gospel, that's absolutely right. I mean, could he say that there's no one on earth like like him or her, and 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 just because we could be talking about a woman too, she's she's um, blameless and upright, and a woman who fears God and shuns evil. We can say that because we're covered by Christ. That. There is no one like him. There is the only thing that makes, and we're going to talk about that, this in a second, because the accusation that, that, that the enemy, that the adversary is going to make 
before God is that these people don't really love you, that they aren't blameless, that they that they aren't really upright. And if they are upright, it's only because God gives them all kinds of good stuff, you know. And um, but we are righteous and holy by faith in Christ, and Job was too. And the only reason, look, the only reason why. I want to name that right here and right now is not because it's some kind of great, you know, like explanation or interpretation of this part of the Bible, but simply because it's the main message of the Bible that we've been made righteous through faith in Jesus and that the Father absolutely beams on us. And by the way, I think it's the main problem in our spiritual life that we don't fully believe that in our hearts yet, that we got to push that out harder. We're afraid, we're guilty, we're shamed. We, we think that if God was, was with us right now, he'd be like, I can't, uh, you know, I can't believe that one's my child. That one's kind of the black sheep. You're, <laughs> that one's been kind of naughty lately. Uh, no, uh, not in Jesus' name. At any rate, um, the Lord loves, uh, he calls him, I, I love this term here. He calls him his servant Job. Now that's, we're going to get, that's a clue. That's a deep clue here. When in the Bible, uh, in the Bible, when somebody is called a servant of the Lord, that is, that is just a pregnant full term. Moses is a servant of the Lord. Joshua is a servant of the Lord. We're going to get to the prophet Isaiah, who comes centuries later. He develops what I would call a, sir, a, a full-blown servant theology um, of the Christ. Uh, later, uh, we have Jude. We did a Jude podcast. He's a, he's a servant. Uh, James, so when we have Job here called a servant, what we're understanding is that he's specially commissioned for something. Um, and he, what he's specially commissioned for is to teach us something about the Lord and about suffering. And that's what we're going to have to develop in the rest of the book. But do not miss that term there. He is a servant of the Lord. And then you have Satan's uh, accusation here. And you mentioned it. Too. Well, yeah. And and like before we even read it, I I think I think you have to get you have to let your skin get all prickly and let it get cold, and realize that all of a sudden the the accuser is here, and with all of his demonic forces, and and he and he wants us to come to believe something different from the gospel, like he. He wants, and, and he's going to shove this accusation in God's face. Like, I, I, I want to, like, invoke everything about, like, what it means to, to, know, to know, like, that Satan's around. And that, that he is going to come and try to remove the blamelessness and, and try to remove and, and, and to push guilt out and, and fear and... And to try to separate us from God. And he comes with his best accusation. Like, let's not assume that Satan is stupid or that he's going to come with some weak accusation that's not really going to stick in the throne room of God. Like, he he comes with what he thinks is his very best um, accusation. And, and it's this, like, the, 
the way that I, I kind of encapsulate it is that um, Satan is going to say about every single human being then and now and about the specifically the people of God is that they're just gold diggers. Yeah. All they are is gold diggers. They want they want God for his gifts and not for God at all. Does Job here's verse nine. Does Job fear God for nothing? Have you not put a hedge around him and his household and everything he has? You've blessed the work of his hand so that his flocks and herds are spread throughout the land. But now stretch out your hand and strike everything he has, and he will surely curse you to your face. By the way, that we I hope uh, you listeners are connecting some dots. Um, back up in verse 5, we said Job's biggest fear was that his kids were going to curse God. Now Satan is saying that Job is going to be the one uh, to curse God. But we I think we have to go back to this question, does Job fear God for nothing. Because that's the main question of the book. It is Job's relationship with the Lord. That's the main question of the book. By the way, it's the main question. Is Job, yeah, is Job's faith fake faith or real faith? Does he love God or does he love God's stuff? Does he love the Creator or all the creation stuff that God gives. Does does he love the giver or does he love the gifts? And Satan's accusation, and it's his best one, is this. He doesn't really love you, God. He loves your gifts. Take them away and he'll be done with you. He'll abandon you. He'll quit. Yeah, he'll quit. So, So this... So Timothy, this is one of the big. This is the big deal in the book of Job. This is the big question: what What is upon what is my relationship with God based? Do I love Him for Him, or do I love Him for His gifts and and for His goods? In other words, we can frame it like this: It's a question centered around the first commandment, right? Do, do, what? Who's my God? Is God my God, or is something else my God? And, and of course, that's Satan's main accusation. Of course, that's, that's actually the main, the main problem of our lives. And it's not, in other words, the main problem of our lives is not what we think it is. We think it's suffering. We think this book is about suffering. Um, it's not, the book is not actually going to go on and explain completely suffering to us. What it's going to do is it's going to reveal God to us. It's going to reveal the Lord to us. Now we have to talk about this because a lot, I'm excited. And I'm, now you're, I'm, now you're starting to rant. I got my rant. <laughs> Come on. Because what a lot of, a lot, what a lot of modern interpreters do, what a lot of modern scholars do with this book is they try to make, uh, do what, what we would call theodicy. Now theodicy is a, a big term that really just talks about uh, what we try to do with the book of Job is try to explain suffering, uh, try to put it into theological categories with God. And, 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 and this, this I, I get so bored with this now. I'm so over this. I can't even tell you. Um, but this is what people say. They, they have these logical syllogisms at, as if human wisdom works. And 
uh, we're going to talk more about human wisdom, especially in Job chapter 28. But this is, this is what they say. Um, people, they start like this. In, 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 in the Enlightenment, what happened is they said, what we can do as humans is we can explain everything with our reason. And we should be able, we should also be able to explain suffering. And they said, boy, oh boy, we got this problem with suffering. Here's the problem with suffering. Uh, if God is good and he is mighty, then there shouldn't be suffering at all. Because here's the, all right, that's the problem. There's a problem. If God is good um, and there's suffering, it must mean he's not very powerful. Or if he's powerful and there's suffering, then that must not mean he's, he's very good. And so it's an and, and, and so what we humans do is we sit here on earth and we look at suffering and we say, there's got to be a problem with God. We can't explain this. Um, and they come to the book of Job and, and they say, this is, this is a book where we can do theodicy. We can get an ex- explanation of suffering. But the truth is this. And I, look, we want to do a lot. Well, can I stop you there? Yeah. Because, like, I mean, there's different. That's one theodicy is like God. God is is uh you know he's he's kind of like he is a a a loving god but he just doesn't have enough strength to do anything about it it's kind of what you're saying right if i'm understanding that's one that's one possible problem actually really popular thing to think these days one of the most popular books out there was a, a book um called when bad things happen to good people written by Rabbi Kushner, you heard of this book? Yeah, that's good. He, that got really hot. I remember. He he actually had a son, and incredibly, um, incredibly, incredibly sad. But he his son had a a disease called progeria, and it what it does is it makes makes you get old really really fast. And he watched as his his son wrinkled up and and died, and the the, the conclusion that he came to is that even God has a hard time keeping chaos in in check. So God becomes like this, he's nothing more than like a hospice nurse. He's a very kind, very loving, very gracious hospice nurse, but he's nothing more than that. He's weak. He's too weak. Right. Exactly. And, And people, unfortunately and sadly, do that with the book of Job wrongly. Like, oh, God got... He had to let Satan trick him <laughs> into this, and and you know I'm just done with that. I that actually kind of sickens me. The Lord is clearly in charge of this. Well, and, it, and what it's doing, what it does, something it, it gives into dualism, Timothy. We don't live in a dualistic world where good and evil uh, have sort of sort of equal standing with each other. It's not Satan is not a demigod. You know, that is not the theology we have here at all. The Lord is powerful and good. But I cut in on you. Sorry about that. No, no, you didn't. You didn't. Continue with your little rant about the Odyssey. So that's, <laughs> and this is enlightenment thinking, you know, and humans have to figure out everything. What if we humans aren't God? What if we can't? figure out everything. What if our theological categories don't work? By the way, this is what I would simply say in dealing with those logical syllogisms, because I think I, I think our listeners deserve, deserve some kind of answer, is I would say this. 
all of those logical syllogisms that we lay down uh, blow up if pain has a purpose and if pain has a good purpose. Then God can be both good and powerful. Yeah, like where this, the the logical fallacy in there, because in order for a syllogism to work, everything has to be true. And if some one part of the syllogism isn't true, then it falls apart. And you actually have to define suffering as bad to Correct. end up with that kind of theology and 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 theodicy. And um, I'm not sure you can do that. You know, well, a Christian you cannot. What is what is evil, and what is good? That's actually people are unwilling to define that today. The Bible certainly does, but what is evil, and what is tov, and and what is ra? You know, what is good and what is evil? Mm-hmm. That that's really at the heart of this um, going on here now. And, and is it is God being evil to Job? Even here. Exactly. And this is what I would say about about theodicy in general, is I would look at, it's symptomatic of the human heart. The human heart thinks that is it, it, it can understand everything, basically that it's God, that we deserve some sort of omniscience in this life, like an all-knowing state. And we're trying to rise to a God-like status. Does that sound like anything to you? And so actually what we have to do in life and overall that actually sounds satanic to me <laughs> yeah it is and that's what you know like, like god the, kicking god off his throne and that's exactly what's happening here and so the, the the main again this is what we're talking about the main question of our lives isn't and this is what the enlightenment has done is people are trying to make god relevant to our lives that's what they're trying to do when they're going through theodicy but it's the wrong question the question is not, how do we make God relevant? The question is, how do we become relevant to God? Now, let me put this another way. Let me put this another way that, that um, if you're a Christian, you're going to appreciate this. The question is not, in other words, um, how do we justify God's behavior and his actions and how he rules his world? That's not the question, which is what theodicy is doing. We have to justify God. We have to understand why he's doing everything that he's doing. The question is not how to justify God. The question is how to be justified. Mm. And actually, Elihu gets really upset about that. Yes, he does. He gets Job, very upset about it. <laughs> it's like that is the main thing. That's his, Job, you, you have tried to justify yourself. And Job's saying, oh, I'm so blameless and all this other stuff. And Elihu's like, no, I'm here. I'm going to justify. Um, you don't need to. You need to be justified, basically. So you know, we'll get into that more later. So again, but you're absolutely, absolutely right. So that's the question of the book, right? Does Job fear God for nothing? And 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 that's what we that's what we have to that's what we have to find out. I'm also I also want to say this, and I think this is very very important. Um, the the word the title and I want to go into it like this. Notice that Satan calls uh, the Lord God here. In the book of Job, the titles for God are very, very, very important. What we're going to notice is that the Lord is called the Lord uh, in chapters one, 
uh, and in chapters two. And then the name Lord absolutely disappears from the book. Now, now, why is this? Well, let's think about it like this. God, uh, people call God all kinds of things, right? He's the, he's the big man upstairs. He's the, he's the guy in the sky. He's, he's God. Um, but the only, the only people who call the Lord the Lord um, are people who actually know who he is. That's his covenant name. We know what he's up to. We understand it because we've been told in the Holy Scriptures. He's this is the in other words, this is what I'm saying. Like this is the God who's been revealed to us. Um, when when testing is going on in our lives, when we're hurting, and and Satan is going after this, does Job fear God for nothing? We we can't know what's going on, not totally. We we don't have sight. Into we may never we, know. Yeah, we, we we may never know, and that's okay. I mean, I it, it is okay. I that's I think that's the role of doxology, you know, to to say, praise be to the Lord whose whose wisdom far surpasses my own. To be able to that's the role of doxology in our lives to express the mystery of the Holy Trinity. In his in the way he's working things out in my life and what the Lord is doing and and that's what I would say I mean let me so let's go through what all happens to job here the, so Satan goes out from the presence of the Lord uh, you got you got a party going on there and then you can you can here's what's going on you have and, and read this for yourself it's 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 an epic story uh, an epic account here but Basically, let me just put this basically to you, is basically what you have is all of heaven and earth is against Job. In, in fact, I'll even tell you this. Um, in, in, in the text, in the Hebrew text, it says, uh, the, it says here in the NIV too, that fire of God uh, fell from heaven. Now that's probably lightning, but even think about that terminology there. What does it look like to Job? You got fire coming from heaven. You got wind um, coming off the desert, which a thoughtful uh, Christian man is going to. We saw this in the book of Jonah, Timothy. Uh, when you got that that hot wind coming off the desert, that was well known to be a judgment of God. Yeah, the creation is against the you. The creation heaven's against, against heaven's you. against you, yeah. and then all the peoples of the earth are against you. If you look, if you, if Job, this is what I'm saying. If Job tries to read the own tea leaves of his life, what inevitable conclusion does he have to come to? Everybody hates me, including God. You have to, and so <laughs> yeah, like it's yeah. If you're so, if you're in suffering, th- now push this out a little bit. If you're in suffering, then if if things are going wrong. What conclusion can you come wrongly to because you cannot see into heaven right now? You you don't have access to the heavenly council. You don't see it. Job doesn't see it. He does not see it. Now, I I will say this, and I, I and I think this is very, very important. We have other heavenly council scenes in the Old Testament. Uh there's some really cool ones. In fact, uh there's one that has a little bit of hilarity to it. The prophet Micaiah, Micaiah, 
Mick, I, I don't know if I'm saying it quite right. I always get that prophet's name wrong. But he he was he was dealing with with uh, the kings of, of of Israel and Judah, and and we got a heavenly courtroom scene there, and and it you got to go read it because it's it's um there's a, some tragic irony and hilarity there. Uh, at any rate, you get all kinds of heavenly scenes, but what what what's happening there is a prophet is getting access to the plans and the counsels of God. Now, this is let's push into that even more. The prophet Amos, and we covered him. The prophet Amos said this in Amos three seven: Surely the sovereign Lord does nothing without revealing his plan to his servants, the prophets. So the look, this is what we're saying. The big problem in our lives, we, we can't interpret our own lives because we can't see into heaven. How do we see into heaven when we can't see into heaven? The answer is God has given us his prophets. He's given us his apostles. He has given us his word. He's given us Job so we can see into heaven. So we can understand who the real enemy is in our lives, who the real adversary is in our lives. And, you know, and that that's actually really, really helpful. Like when, when, when that day comes or the phone call comes or when the tragedy strikes or the trauma comes, because immediately what's going to happen is um, you're, you're going to try to interpret what happened. You, you, you're going to, you, that's, that's a normal human response. You want, you're, you're going to try to interpret what happens. You're going to, and that's where wisdom, you need to have wisdom about this. Um, and to, to, to be able to understand your own life. I think a couple things, a couple things, like you said, scripture, but also, um, to have a good pastor there for you. I, I, I was reading, I was reading, um, a book recently about uh pastoral theology and and the pastor was telling a story about how he himself had his own mother had been stopped up short in um a car and it banged her head and all of a sudden she fell in a coma and then she died and his pastor showed up and he helped him understand uh the you know what god was doing in that as he grieved the loss of his own mother and so this is the gift of of wisdom of understanding our life i mean philosophers actually sometimes life kind of is rolling on like it's going and it's going and it's going like the car's running good and and when philosophers come to these moments like job has just come to and and he's literally all of heaven and earth is against him what philosophers call this is being uh, stopped up short. You're 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 stopped up short. Like you're just like whoa, whoa. And and that is a, that is an absolute critical moment to to putting aside like the old paradigms that you've been living with. Um. Maybe maybe it's the 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 paradigm of proverbs that if i do everything right that life is going to be good all of a sudden you can't live that way anymore and you the the gift of scripture the gift of of wisdom the gift of pastoral counsel 
can help you interpret like what is it, it opens up heaven for us that's what I'm saying wow that's powerful and there's a, we do have to quote Job here uh, he gets I think the Apostle Paul is quoting him uh, when he talks about about money uh, later in the New Testament uh, but he says here Job says, naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I will depart. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. May the name of the Lord be praised. And I think that there's a lot of people who who um, try to take Job's spirituality away from him. Um, they'll say he's in shock. He doesn't know what's going on. They'll make fun of him. Um, yeah, I actually read a commentator that called Job catatonic catatonic like he (laughs) yeah he's so much in shock that the pain hasn't set in yet so he's right uh but i i uh i get what he's saying on a on a deep level like what do we do when our lives fall apart all the way at the seams what do we do um i think this is pure and utter wisdom from Job. He recognizes he came in with nothing. He's going to leave with nothing. This is how life works. This life that we've wrecked, this is how it works. And the only thing that we can do is fall on our knees before the Lord. And like you said, give a doxology. May the name of the Lord be be praised. And if you want to put one word to describe what Job has done here, what has he done? He's surrendered. And that's all we can do when life is bigger than us. Like in the Psalms, I was I was with somebody last night whose life fell apart on him. Psalm forty-two, when it, when when the currents of life have crashed over our heads, when we're drowning in our tears, what the only thing we can do is look up. May the name of the Lord be praised. And when we look up, what we see is the suffering servant Jesus above our eyes. Uh, we see what he's done for us. We see what the Lord must be up to. And we let God do what he's going to do for us. Now, I I, I want to just be clear about this because there's a, a popular new theology, and it's actually a different religion, that, that would say, um, would have a Job in response with just one difference. Like the, the Buddhist response to suffering and um, it is simply this to to realize that the things that we lose are not ours, and they actually will talk about rope burn. Like you can you can try to suffering is just rope burn. You're trying to hold on to things that um, were never yours to begin with. So just let go when you won't suffer anymore. <laughs> Does that make sense? Yeah, and and that's not right. That's actually not truthful it's, it's not christianity it's not, yeah it's the jobin response is actually far far different it's it's to go to the lord and realize what you have and to hold on to to what you really have and that is the saving love the covenantal love of the lord it's not to deny your pain it's not to detach from the world and and all of god's gifts but it's finally to say all this has been taken from me. I'm in great, great pain right now. 
but I have the Lord yet. And he he's for me. He loves me. He's working for me. I can't see it. I can't feel it. He's made a covenant with me to to work this out and to bring me peace. Yeah. It's all of that. And and that, you know, that closes the scene. We got this narrator who closes it like this, and all this Job did not sin by charging God with wrongdoing. And again, I, I let me say two things about it. I think they're both important. One is uh, God wasn't doing anything wrong. This it, this is a big point in the book of Job. Um, secondly, Job did not sin. He's an innocent sufferer here. And again, we have to push that out into a bigger theology. Now we're going to wait on that. And uh, for now, we have seen traumatized Job now react for the first time, but not the last. <laughs> yeah, and he's, we should say this too, because we'll come back to it, but Job has has gotten past now the first temptation. This is temptation number one. One of two, he has not shut Satan up. So Satan's going to come back again, and he's going to come with another accusation. Um, but he has, he has just shushed Satan without even knowing it. By the power of God's love, yeah, and that's here's what I want every if you if you're gonna work on this and meditate on this some more, I would love for everybody to go home, and this is what I want you to do. I want you to go read Luke chapter ten verses seventeen through twenty, and I want you to show I want you to think about push this in your head and your heart, just how powerful you are against Satan now, just how powerful because this is what it says. Satan is not allowed in the heavenly council anymore with his accusations. Not anymore. Not after what the the greater Job, Jesus, has done. Um, it says there, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. He's not allowed in there anymore. Um, and we have the power of the gospel to chase him out of our hearts. And that's really what the closing line is. Go meditate on the whole section there. But listen to this. Do not rejoice that the spirits submit to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. If you want to know what's going on in heaven, right? If you want to know what the Lord is up to, meditate on that. Thanks for listening to The Notable Podcast. Check out our other seasons to hear other people sharing their notes and highlights. If you enjoy this podcast and would like to support us or hear more, visit NotablePodcast.com. That's N-O-T-A-B-L-E podcast.com. Thanks for listening.